From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Over the years, Round the World has come into the possession of dozens of personal diaries. While they were being written, these diaries were carefully and jealously guarded. Some even had a lock attached. They were the receptacles of both mundane everyday events and and some innermost secrets and dreams that could not be spoken aloud. Then, eventually, the authors would die, so the diaries began their journeys through estate liquidators and auctions and flea markets, mostly unexamined. Until now. We asked our team of interns to go through these diaries to see if they could find references to today's musical motif, namely, the dream of striking out on one's own, getting out from under someone else's thumb, escaping and running away. In the course of wading through weather reports and who visited who and what time they get up every morning, we have gleaned a few nuggets which we'll share with you. Yes, dear friends, today we examine reveries of personal autonomy and freedom. We'll start with the diary of an eight-year-old who will remain anonymous. Dear Diary, I've decided I'm going to run away from home. I want to keep walking south until the climate gets warmer. I plan to bring along enough fried chicken for the trip. Well, let's provide a soundtrack for his adventure. Here's Leo Watson with Artie Shaw and his orchestra in 1937. Free Wheeling.
to dwell So spoke our dear old mother to our boy one summer's day Son, if your mind's made up that way I bid you We heard Free Wheeling, Leo Watson with Artie Shaw and his orchestra in 1937, and this was followed by Ethel Waters in 1934. You're going to leave the old home, Jim. We're reading diary entries this hour pertaining to personal autonomy and freedom. We've combed through the vast collection of personal journals and diaries in the Round the World archives, and here's another one about leaving home. This one is a 14-year-old. Dear Diary, I've decided I'm an adult and must prepare to live on my own. I'll need dishes and so forth, so I've been going to garage sales. I'll get an apartment in an old building and have a tiny kitchen with a window that overlooks a leafy courtyard. I wonder how you grocery shop when you live by yourself. If I buy a whole carton of milk, it would probably go bad before I could drink it all. My apartment would have no furniture because... I have no money. It's interesting that animals in general feel the urge to strike out on their own as they journey through adolescence. An unseen force compels them into the dangerous shoals of life, but they themselves experience it as personal freedom and standing on their own two feet. Clayton McMitchin's 1939 
Georgia Wildcats will second the emotion here. Free a little bird as I can be. Last night I was walking down the lane. What bird? I met my honey at the gate. What she say? She looked at me with fire in her eyes. Says, man, how come you so late? She's as free a little bird as she can be. She's as free a little bird as she can be. Standing by the roadside, down by the gate, and her face in my dreams I can see. Then we took a stroll by the brook The moon was shining down There I stole a kiss from my honey's lips Cause I knew no one was around She's as free a little bird as she can be She's as free a little bird as she can be Standing by the roadside, down by the gate And her face in my dreams I can see There we sat, and we sat, and we sat as the hours rolled by, we would spoon. We sat through the night with our love shining bright, just looking at the man in the moon. She's as free a little bird as she can be. She's as free a little bird as she can be. Standing by the roadside, down by the gate, and her face in my dreams I can see. Now I'm so far, far away, though I know I'm going back someday. She'll be down by the gate where once I was late, and no more will she have to wait. She's as free a little bird as she can be. She's as free a little bird as she can be. Standing by the roadside, down by the gate, and her face in my dreams I can see.
Don Bias's Swing Shifters. That was Free and Easy from 1944. Before that, Free a Little Bird as I Can Be, featuring Clayton McMitchin's 1939 Georgia Wildcats. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World, and we're reading old diaries. Specifically, diary entries related to the desire for greater personal freedom and pursuing one's destiny. Buddy Clark has something to say on the topic. Here he is with the Mitchell Ayers Orchestra. They're riding on a 1947 Freedom Train. This song is a train song. That's a song about a train. Not the Atchison, Topeka. Not the Chattanooga choo-choo Nor the one that leaves at midnight Or the state of Alabama This song is a train song Where the engineer is Uncle Sam Here comes the freedom train You better hurry down Just like a Paul Revere It's coming into your hometown Inside the freedom train, you'll find the precious freight. Those words of liberty, the documents that made us great. You can shout your anger from a steeple. You can shoot the system full of holes. You can always question we the people. You can get your answer at the polls. That's how it's always been. And how it will remain As long as all of us keep riding on the freedom train Well, looky here comes that freedom train You better hurry down Just like a Paul Revere It's coming into your hometown Mr. Paul Revere is inside that freedom train Guarding the precious freight those words of liberty, the documents that made us great. You can write the president a letter, you can even tell him to his face. If you think that you can do it better, 
Get the votes and you can take his place. That's how it's always been and how it will remain. As long as all of us keep riding on the freedom train. And if you really hate the law that you're obeying, you can shout your anger to the crowd. We may disagree with what you're saying, but we'll fight so you can say it loud. That's how it's always been, and how it will remain. As long as all of us keep riding on the freedom train. We must keep riding on the freedom train. We must keep riding on the freedom train. Clickety-clickety-clickety-clack, you're on the wrong track. If you don't keep riding, riding on that freedom train.
was the 1939 Alec Wilder Octet with a tone poem they call A Debutante's Diary. Interesting early use of the harpsichord. Before that, Buddy Clark and the 1947 Mitchell Iris Orchestra were on the Freedom Train. And kids fantasizing about running away from home are not the only examples we found in people's diaries about the desire to break away or get out from under someone's thumb. Here's one about a bad boss. Dear Diary, Rick gave me my performance review today. All the hard work I put in and the overtime and the fires I put out and the problems I solved were all ignored. Instead, he says that now that he's been to my house and met some of my friends, he realizes I'm not cut out to be a team leader. He apparently has no clue what we do here. For instance, all us working stiffs have to do to get him to buzz off is pretend to have a discussion about a technical topic. His eyes glaze over and he floats away. But I'll fix his wagon. As soon as our meeting was over, I got on the horn with my brother. And he's going to find me a gig where he works. It'll be such a relief to get away from that incompetent jerk. And we're indeed fortunate to have here Art Gibson, who will render into music the sweet feeling of getting away from someone who has been a royal pain. Here is I'm Free From You. from you when I see you 
up on the street I do not hide for fear we meet my heart is free it feels like new because at last I'm free from you Ernest Tubb, free at last, and before him, Art Gibson was free from you. Both those anthems of autonomy from 1946. We're snooping into diaries this hour. We're especially interested in folks' innermost thoughts about breaking away from oppressive situations to pursue their own destinies. Here next is an entry by a 16-year-old girl. 
Dear Diary, Grandpa is not doing well. I'm taking care of him today, and we were alone in the house, and he told me he will soon go to the great beyond. He told me he thinks it's a disgrace how the family has treated me, and he told me where his money is hid. I think after he passes, I'm going to dig up the tin box, put the envelope with the cash into my shirt, and then rebury the box. Then I'm going to walk the five miles into town and buy a Greyhound ticket at the Grant Hotel and just keep taking buses as far as they'll go and get a job washing dishes somewheres and disappear forever. I'll pick a town with a college so I can go to school and use Gramps' money for tuition. I'd like to read the rest of the diary for you, but in the interest of time, let's get on that bus with Bob Crosby and his orchestra with Billy Butterfield on the trumpet. I'm free. I'm free.
Bob Crosby and his 1938 orchestra with Billy Butterfield on trumpet. We continue now reading excerpts from folks' diaries and personal journals. Here is a 25-year-old mother of four. Dear Diary, Dan woke me up at 3 a.m. last night. He came home drunk and said he was hungry and wanted me to get out of a sound sleep and get up and make him some eggs. I said, I have to get up at five to get ready for work and get the kids ready, and can't you just make yourself some toast? But no, and when I was putting the dishes in the sink, the diamond fell out of my ring and got lost and was nowhere to be found. And he said, you should wear your ring empty like that so people can see how stupid you are. Can this marriage be saved? Chuck Harding and his Colorado cowhands are dubious. Here's the 1947 husband's point of view, though it could just as well be the wife's. I'm going to ask the judge to set me free. I'm tired of wasting my life with a trifling wife. I'm going to ask the judge to set me free. I don't know how I got hit to this terrible wit. I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free. She beat me over the head till I'm nearly half dead. And at night she kicks me out of bed. I know she'll kill me someday if I don't get away. I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free. Working each day, she's out spending my pay. I know the judge is sure to pity me. She's making debts by the score at the highest price store. I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free. She nags and fusses all day till she gets her own way. Then she kneels down by her bed and prays. She prays that I'll go to jail. Where I'll never get bail I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free I've got to get a divorce Every day she gets worse This married life is slowly killing me She's got me hen-pecked and tied She will boss or she'll die I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free She'll drive me crazy for sure It's too much to endure And I know she'll see that I ain't cured She means to dig me a grave it's my life that she craves I'm gonna ask the judge to set me free
I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. Pretty soon I'll be the boss. Wife is getting her divorce. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. I just don't care when I get in, there'll be no more rolling pin. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. I can do just what I choose, spend my money, drink my booze. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. I'll have girlies by my side, let my conscience be my guide. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. I won't have to be afraid every time I kiss a maid. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. I won't find my money gone when I wake up every morn. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Yeah! Nevermore she'll wait for me with a ball bat on her knee. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. I'm gonna do the things I want to do. Now I'm happy once again since I lost my ball and chain. Hallelujah, I'm gonna be free again. Ah! 
was little Esther with the 1950 Johnny Otis Orchestra and the Bell Tones. Just can't get free. Before that, the Shelton Brothers sang to us from 1939. Alleluia, I'm going to be free again. And this was preceded by Chuck Harding and his Colorado cowhands. I'm going to ask the judge to set me free from 1947. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Round the world is prying into old diaries. Today we're interested in what people have written about wanting to break away and establish greater personal autonomy, to spin their own wheel of fortune, or get away from an oppressive situation. In this next diary, there's no indication of a name or age, and the pages are filthy and smeared. Dear Diary, Red and Roy and them are talking about busting out of this place. Since they caught me eavesdropping on them whispering about it, I guess I'll be going with them. Seems dangerous, and I hope I don't get a dread disease wading through the sewers for miles. I'll miss the taste of mold in the food and the freezing cell with the thin blanket on the hardest rock bed, the round-the-clock clamor and bright lights. It'll be a shame to see the stars again, and won't Ma be surprised? Well... Elton Britt only has two more years to go, and then he'll get out without having to escape. Here he is in 1939. Oh, two more years is all, and I'll be free, and we will start our lives anew. I've held your memory so close to me. Two more years and I'll be free While you are out beneath the moonlit sky I sit and stare at the wall I think of you, sweetheart, and days gone by And I know two more years is all
of you, sweetheart, and I feel blue, and I hope you're thinking of me. I know there's something to look forward to, two more years and I'll be free. I've been in this old place for 19 years And it seems like 90 to me Only 24 more months of tears Two more years and I'll be free
We heard Graham Bell and his Australian jazz band with the 1948 recording called Free Man's Blues. And those two anthems of impending elbow room were initiated by Elton Britt with two more years in 1939. We have time for one more snoop into somebody's diary. We hear next from a 17-year-old young lady. Dear Diary, I have to leave home if it kills me. I have $96 and Susie asked me to be her roommate. I told Dad I was leaving. And he said that would be great because he wouldn't have to support me and he could still take me as a deduction on his taxes since I'm still underage. Well, let's hope that this was the start of a lifetime of swashbuckling adventure. The Hell Kemp Orchestra will now underscore the action with their 
to love you Please say You're free That was the Kentucky Free Booters, who gave us a flood of sunshine. Before that, we heard a 1933 Hell Camp orchestral offering entitled simply, Free. And now it's time to close and relock the various repositories of innermost thoughts and secrets. We read from private diaries and journals about the yearning for personal autonomy and freedom, which starts to assert itself at a young age is seen throughout the animal kingdom during adolescence and continuing into adulthood. Living life on one's own terms, being free to make changes for the better and getting out from under the domineering bullies of life. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport, 
This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And speaking of living your life as you see fit, here's a 1952 episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, entitled Boomerang. So let's listen. of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. Dates and places in the following story are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Now, the Texas Rangers. And now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, the case called The Boomerang. It is late afternoon on a Thursday in May, 1937. Several miles north of Catonsville, Texas, a car containing two middle-aged women pulls up in front of a shanty on a rundown farm. He's here, all right. There's his horse and buggy. I'll ride back with him, Ruthie. All right, Ethel. Thanks for driving me over. Don't mention it. Break it down, and I'm coming. Oh, Mrs. Hadley, what do you want? Is my father in there? No, he ain't. Don't lie to me. That's his buggy. I said he ain't around. Now get out of here. Don't tell me what to do, Sam White. I'm coming in to get my paw. You take one step inside my place, and I'll bust you in the teeth. What? Why, when my Harry gets back from his sisters, we'll see who gets busted in the teeth. Your husband ain't going to do nothing to me. Oh, no? Oh, no. Harry's just as tired of your nagging as your paw is. Oh. He only went to Oklahoma to get away from you for a couple of weeks. That ain't so. Now you tell my pa to come out of there. Why don't you get on your broom and fly off my property? You're just asking for trouble, Sam, and you're gonna get it. Pa! That's you, Ethel. you out back? Yes. What do you want? I'm taking him home, and he ain't never coming here again. Why don't you ask him if he wants to go? He don't belong around no filthy, sloppy pig like you. The way I live, none of your nosy business. Hey, Roscoe, the warden's come to take you back. <laughs> What's the matter this time, Ethel? How many times have I told you not to come over here? And what are you doing with your feet in that tub of dirty water? It's for my rheumatism. It's got sassafras roots and kale in it. Something Sam fixed up for you, I suppose. I'd like to fix up a pine box for you. Shut your mouth, you. Hey, ain't that Pa's watch chain you're wearing? Well, what of it? He gave it to me. Pa... Why did you give him that gold chain? Well, he liked it. I never heard of such a thing. Sam, you hand over that chain right now. You just try and make me, woman. My mother gave that to Pa. And he gave it to me, so I'm keeping it. Let's cut the argument, Ethel. I give Sam a present and he's going to keep it. I want him to have it. You're always giving him something. Suppose you give him that box of canned goods out by the back door, too. I just loan Sam the money for that until his pension check comes through. We bought the stuff because he invited me for supper. 
What for? So he could get some more of your money? It's your pa's money, not yours. If he helped me out once in a while, it's his business. Well, it's my business, too. Come on, Pa, get your feet out of that tub. Are you going to let your daughter push you around like that? Uh, there ain't no use in arguing with her. She always gets away. Well, if she was mine, I'd put her over my knee and wail the living daylights out of her, like she was a spoiled kid. Come on, Pa. You can put your shoes on in the buggy. Oh, all right, Ethel. Sure, go on, both of you. Uh, Darn crazy woman. Look at you, letting her lead you around by the nose. Go on home, don't come back. Oh, you don't mean that, Sam. You're damn right I do. Get off my property or I'll throw you off. See? I told you it was only after your money. Go on, get up in the buggy, Pa. I don't believe it. Why, Sam ain't that way. Sure I am. She told you so. You see? You're not giving him nor anybody else no more money. I won't give him no more, Ethel. I know you won't. Shouldn't keep all that money around the house anyhow. First thing tomorrow morning, you're going to get in this buggy and take every penny of it to the bank. Yeah, you better do it, too, or she'll send you to bed without your supper. Oh, fool. Get up, Rusty. Get up. At 3.30 the following afternoon, Mrs. Hadley went to the office of Sheriff Nielsen and reported that her father, Roscoe Crider, was missing. After a preliminary check, the sheriff requested aid in the Texas Rangers. Forty-five minutes later, Ranger Jace Pearson was at the sheriff's office. You'll find him, won't you, Ranger? We'll do our best, Mrs. Hadley. When was the last time you saw your father? About half past nine this morning, when he took off in the buggy. With the $1,400? Yes, sir. Was in a tin box. He never got to the bank, Jace. And we can pretty well rule out the possibility of an accident. He's not at the hospital, and no doctor around here has seen him. Oh, excuse me. I know something terrible's happened to him. And it's all my fault. I made him go. I'll be right back, Jace. I'm going to take this call in the other office. Okay, Sheriff. Was your father feeling all right when he left for the bank, Mrs. Hadley? He wasn't ailing, if that's what you mean. But he was in pretty low spirits because I kept after him. Till he took off in the buggy. I was only doing it for his own good. Did he ever stay away this long before? Sometimes he'd sneak off with that awful man named Sam White. But I stopped off there and Sam claims he ain't seen him all day. You think he might be lying? He sure could be, Ranger. He's a nasty old man. Can I see you over here? Sure. Excuse me, ma'am. What is it, Sheriff? That phone call. One of our boys in a plane thinks he spotted Crider's horse and buggy. Where? On the edge of Bourne's Lake. But there was nobody near it. Have a deputy take Mrs. Hadley home. We'll go out there. We drove out to the lake. The horse was grazing about 50 feet from the unhitched buggy. Well, don't see him anywhere. There's nothing in the buggy. You can see where he walked around, unhitching the horse. Yeah. And I would Look over there, Sheriff. Where? Down toward the edge of the water. Hmm. A lot of footprints. Yeah. He must have gone up to his ankles in mud. Looks like someone shoved a rowboat off here into the water. Reckon he went rowing? It doesn't make much sense that Roscoe Crider would take his money down here and go rowing. It sure doesn't. Can you see any boats on the lake? No, not from here. Let's get up on that rise. We ought to be able to spot it from there. 
Lake's only half mile across. At most. Yeah, this should be high enough. And there isn't a single boat out there. Now, wait a minute. There's one over there in that inlet. Hmm? Nobody in it, though. Let's take a look. Might be the one Kreider used. place to leave a boat. Yeah. Looks like it just drifted into these reeds. Uh, the oars are pulled in. The boat he took, all right. That mud on the floor is still wet. Well, the boat's in the water, so it's a pretty good chance he didn't go on shore. Wait a minute, Sheriff. What's the matter, Jace? That straw hat over there floating by the reeds. Come on. Doesn't look like it's been in the water very long. Look at the initials in this hat band. R.C. Roscoe Kreider. He must have committed suicide. Guess so. We better drag the lake. We told Mrs. Hadley the news. She broke down and bitterly blamed herself for her father's death. She felt she'd driven him to it by being too hard on him. I called headquarters for aid, and at dawn the following morning, a crew started dragging the lake. The sheriff and I circled the shore on horseback to see if the body had been washed up. Still worried about not finding the money? Don't you think it's kind of funny? Well, not exactly. Look, Jace, no man in his right mind commits suicide in the first place. Well, that's right. As I see it, Roscoe Kreider was all riled up because his daughter was running his life to her liking. If he was mad enough to kill himself, I think he'd be sore enough to take his money to the bottom with him. Maybe so. I can't see why he wanted to destroy $1,400. After all, Mrs. Hadley wasn't after his money. She was only trying to help him in her own way. I'm almost willing to bet we'll find that money on the end of a grappling hook. We'll see. Whoa, whoa, Charlie. Oh, oh, hold it, boy. See anything, Jace? No. Just like to check under that pier. It's a good place for a body to get wedged in. Well, you better be careful. This old pier is rotten clean through. Not safe to use anymore. Uh-huh. Couple boards missing. You can see straight down to the pilot. Yeah. Let me take a look. See anything, Jace? No. It's all clear down here. Let's go out to the end. Sheriff, have any of the dragon crew been on this pier? No, I told them to keep off. Why? Well, there's fresh mud tracks on this planking. Well, I know none of the boys were out here. It looks like these tracks were made by someone who got out of a boat. You mean maybe Roscoe Kreider didn't commit suicide? I don't know. We didn't find any suicide note. Besides, what proof do we have that Roscoe Kreider wasn't robbed and killed? You... you think these tracks belong to somebody who killed Roscoe? It's sure possible. Killer could have tried to make it look like suicide by rowing Kreider's body out the middle of the lake and pushing it overboard, then landing here at the end of the pier. Yeah, that'd sure explain these muddy tracks. Yeah... Another thing. The wind's been blowing from the southeast for the last couple of days. The boat would float right toward that inlet. That's just where we found it. Maybe you're right, Jace. Maybe it was murder. When we find the body, we'll know for sure. So, now we start looking for a murderer, huh? Uh-huh. And a clever one. Somebody who knew Roscoe Kreider was carrying a lot of money. Only two people knew that. Mrs. Hadley and Sam White. That's just what I've been thinking. Let's go pick him up.
In just a moment, we will continue with Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. At this moment throughout the country, millions of motorists are beginning to wend their way home along crowded highways from a long Independence Day weekend. It is at times such as these when accidents happen more frequently, when death and driving draw closer together. You can help to decrease the accident and death rate on our nation's highways. Excessive speed for driving conditions is a major cause of many motor accidents. Control your speed at all times to keep within the safe speed, not just the legal limit. America's professional truck drivers are taught to drive ahead of themselves and to avoid accidents by seeing them threaten before they can happen. They know that careful driving keeps them from having accidents which may take lives. Speed is the number one killer on the highways. So drive carefully today on your way home from an enjoyable weekend and tomorrow wherever you go in your car. Exercise caution, courtesy, and the golden rule for the life you save may be your own. Now act two of the Texas Rangers. We continue now with Tales of the Texas Rangers and our authentic story, The Boomerang. We left the crew at the lake and drove to Sam White's dilapidated farmhouse. Outside, we saw an elderly woman trying to lead a mule up a ramp into the back of a truck. You want to reproduce? I wonder who that there. woman is. Sam isn't Got married. Yeah, probably a neighbor. Howdy, boys. Uh, howdy, man. Howdy. How come Sam isn't out here helping you with this mule? No, he moved. Come on, now. Get up here. This here mule's as stubborn as Sam White. When did he move? Last night. Bought all his stock. But this ornery mule, his won't pay me no mind. Get on up there. I'm going to have to take a whip to him as sure as I'm born. You know where Sam went? I got no idea at all. When he come by last night, he had all his stuff piled on the trailer, hooked on back so the old wreck he drives. Levi, no, you do a man? Sure you do, Sheriff. I'm Red Russell's sister, live over near the South Wash. Oh, of course. I, I didn't recognize you with your hair, Bob. <laughs> Did Sam say where he was going? Nope, just said, doggone you, mule, now get on up, not down. Come on now, come on. That's it, boy. Land sakes, that was. Would you mind just shoving that ramp and closing the tailgate? Sure, ma'am. Thanks. Now, what was I telling you? About last night. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, Sam said it was an emergency. Had to go away, didn't say why. So he sold me the whole shooting match. Already got the hogs and a couple of angora goats and some chickens. He didn't even know for sure how many of them he had. And then this here mule. Did he act like he needed money? No, sir, I wouldn't say that. I, he was satisfied with $42 I give him for the whole batch of stock. Them goats and hogs are worth more than that by themselves. Seems like he wanted to sell out at any price. Are you sure he didn't say anything that would tell where he was heading? Nope, not a single word. I signed over the milk check the dairy gave me, and he drove off. Check? Yep. Something wrong? What company issued that check, ma'am? Criterion Dairy. Thanks, ma'am. Come on, Sheriff. Where are we heading, Jase? Criterion Dairy. When that check comes back, we want to know where it was cashed. We went to the dairy company. They arranged with their bank to notify us when the canceled check came back. Meanwhile, we continued our search for Roscoe Kreider's body without success. A week later, the check came through. It had been cashed 300 miles away in Tucker, Texas, by a real estate broker named John Cooney. We went there. 
Well, that's it, Jace. There's your sign, John Cooney. Maybe Sam White bought some property. Here, I'll get it. Thanks. Good morning, gentlemen. What can I do for you? Are you Mr. Cooney? Yes, sir, I am. You remember cashing this check? Well, let's see now. Oh, sure. I, I took it as a rental payment a few days ago. From a man named Sam White? That's right. Rented him a little place out on York Road. He gave me the check for part of the rent. Uh, is something wrong with the check? No, it's okay. How do we get to Mr. White's place? Well, it's about three miles out on York Road. But if you want to see him, he's probably in town. What makes you think so? Well, when he rented the farm, he asked me where he could pick up some stock. I told him to go down to the auction yard today. They have sales every Monday, you know. I'm sure it'll be down there. That's about it, Jason. Yeah. Let's get over to that auction. The auction was held out in the open. We moved around the edge of the crowd trying to spot Sam White. We're sure going to have a time finding him among all these people. I just hope he doesn't see us first and sneak out. Uh, why don't we mix with the crowd and wander through it, Sheriff? Okay. Could we Excuse get through me, here, please? please? Excuse Sam's me, a big man, Jace. Easy to... Hey, Jace, I think I see him. Where? Right up front, wearing that checkered shirt. Uh-huh. Come on. Excuse get... me, please. Pardon me. Let us through, please. He sees us, Jace. Look, there he goes. Keep an eye on him, Sheriff. Would, would you let me through here, please? Through, please. Please. Uh, mister, can I... He's running past that pen full of hogs. Sam! Hold it! He's making for the parking lot. Sam! Sam White! Hold it, White. You're not going anywhere, so just stand still. Well, what do you want of me, Ranger? I ain't done nothing unlawful. Well, then why are you running away? I wasn't running from you. Fact is, I didn't see you. I, I forgot I had to meet a fella. I was in a rush to get there. You ain't going to hold me back, are you? You're darn right we're going to hold you. You've got a lot of answering to do. About what? I don't know what you want me to tell you. Why did you leave Catonsville in such a hurry? Well, there's no crime in moving. It's a free country, Ranger. How come you picked the day Roscoe Crider disappeared? Well, when I heard poor Roscoe drowned himself, I, I didn't feel like staying around no more. Are you sure you didn't leave because you murdered him? Ranger, you ain't serious, are you? Me kill Roscoe? Why, we is closer than most kinfolk. He had $1,400 on him the day he disappeared. Outside of his daughter, you were the only one who knew that. Well, that don't make me no more a murderer than a blue-nosed mule. Where'd you get enough money to be stocking another farm? Sold all my livestock for coming here. I can prove it. You don't have to. We know you only got $42 for it. How about it, Sam? You want to tell us the truth? You're digging a dry well, Sheriff. I wouldn't rob or kill Roscoe, rest his soul, no more than I can fly like a bird. Sam, if we find that money in your house, you're in for a lot of trouble. You know that, don't now, you? Now, you stay away from our house. There ain't nothing in it to interest you at all. Quit stalling, Sam. We think you murdered Kreider and took his money. You're going to have to prove it. Maybe we will. Sheriff, let's lock him up. We turned Sam White over to the local constable. Then we got a search warrant from the magistrate and went out to the farm White had rented. Well, look at it, Jace. Hardly any difference between this shack and his last one. Yeah, I reckon he was going to use that money for other things. Yeah. Mm, door's locked. Let's try that window. It's open a couple inches. Good. I'll go in first. You don't have to climb through. I'll open the door, Sheriff. Okay, Jason. He doesn't have much furniture in here. Shouldn't take us long to go through his stuff. Not many places in here to hide it. Let's try this closet. 
Some packages up on the shelf. What old shoe boxes? Yeah, he. Here's a tin box. The cover's really jammed on tight. Well, there it is. Neat little stack of bills. Mm-hmm. I reckon this cinches the case. It sure does. Let's show this to Sam White. See what he has to say. Come on. Hey, wait a minute, Sheriff. What is it? You hear that noise? Sounded like it came from that back room. Careful, Sheriff. Roscoe. What are you doing here, Mr. Kreider? Please, please don't take me away. I don't want to go back home. Are you all right? Ethel sent you to bring me back, didn't she? Please tell her you couldn't find me. Nobody sent us, Mr. Kreider. We thought you were dead. Well, that's what I wanted you to think. Ain't there some way you can forget you seen me? How about telling us what this is all about? Uh, you promise I can stay here? You're an adult. You've got a right to do anything you want. Yeah, my daughter don't think so. Everything I'd done was wrong. I couldn't smoke in the house. I had to eat only what she liked. I had to go to bed when she had company. Treated me just like a kid. Well, you had money. Why didn't you move out? I did. I moved in with Sam once. Ethel would come after me and made me go back home. You know what I mean? She took me by the arm and she dragged me. She said my place was with her. You didn't have to pretend you were dead. There must have been some other way. Oh, I don't know, Angel. Ethel would never give up on me unless I was dead. I ain't never going back. Did Sam talk you into that fake suicide? Yeah. You sure he didn't do it just to get more of your money? Oh, no, Angel. Why, Sam always pays back what he owes me. And the only money I spend now is for my own keep. I see. Mr. Kreider, you know your daughter has to be told you're alive. But... No, 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 it'd, be, it'd just be the same thing all over again. Nagging me and bawling me out. Please don't tell her. We have to, Roscoe. She filed a missing persons report. She has to know you're alive. Well, do you have to tell her where I am? That part's up to you. Well, that, but I don't want her to know. She's been miserable blaming herself for your suicide. <laughs> she don't care. She does, Mr. Carter. She does care. She thought she was doing the right thing for you. She knows now she was wrong. Yeah, not Ethel. She'd never owned up to being wrong about anything. If you could see her now, you'd know how sorry she is for the way she treated you. Well, I wish I could believe that. It'd make me feel a lot happier. Will you give us a chance to prove it? Well, maybe. But how? You leave that up to us. You can come into the office now, Miss Hadley. Thank you. Hello, Ranger. Hello, Mrs. Hadley. Sit down, won't you? Thank you. The sheriff said you had something to tell me. Yes, ma'am. We've got some news for you. Your father's alive. <gasps> alive? Oh, thank God. Thank God. Is he all right? He's fine, Mrs. Hadley. Tell me, where is he? That's something we can't tell you. You mean you don't know? We know. Then I don't understand. Why can't you tell me? Because he asked us not to. Oh, oh he hates me. He hates me that much. No, ma'am, he doesn't hate you. He must if he didn't. He'd want to see me. 
Maybe he does want to see you, but he's afraid you'd make him come back and live with you. No. No, I wouldn't. Mrs. Hadley, your father likes his freedom. I know that now. But I love him so. I thought everything I did was for his own good. I, I was wrong. Well, we, we all make mistakes. He'll never forgive me. Now I'll never be able to see him again. Oh, Paul, Paul. Excuse me a minute, Mrs. Hadley. Did you hear what she said, Mr. Kreider? Yes. Yes, I heard. You believe us now? I, I believe you, Ranger. I want to see her. In just a moment, we will tell you the results of the case you have just heard. And now, here are the results of the case you have just heard. Mrs. Hadley kept her word. Her father continued living quietly with Sam White on their rented farm. Until his death seven years later, Roscoe Kreider made periodic visits to his daughter in Catonsville. The Texas Rangers. Joel McRae is currently seen in San Francisco Story, a Warner Brothers release. The cast included Tony Barrett, Elizabeth Slifer, Ralph Moody, Howard McNair, Parley Bear, and D.J. Thompson. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Bernard Ederer, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keats. Hal Gibney speaking. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1952 episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, The Boomerang. Speaking of running away from home. Now, stay tuned for a 1940 episode of Fibber McGee and Molly, in which Fibber finds Gildersleeve's locked diary. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, Incident 259, written by Don Quinn. Music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Our Love Affair.
It will probably be news to everybody that Throckmorton T. Gildersleeve keeps a diary. And it'll be bad news to Mr. Gildersleeve that a careless maid has thrown it out on the trash pile. But heaven knows what will happen when he discovers that it was picked up by Fibber McGee and Molly. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Imagine me, of all people, finding Gildersleeve's diary. <laughs> we sure got the goods on the old rumble tumby this time, haven't we, Molly? <laughs> I bet this is going to be rich reading. Well, how can you read it? It's got a padlock on it. Oh, padlocks can be picked. Why... Why, that would be just plain burglary. Ah, uh, whoever got pinched for opening a book? My Uncle Dennis did. He opened a book at 14th and Oak Streets, and the cops raided the joint before the first race was over. <laughs> well, be that as it may or may not be, or not, I'm going to open this diary and read it. Now, look, McGee, I'm pleading with you. I beg of you, don't pry into Mr. Gildersleeve's diary. Uh... It's none of our business, and we have no right to. Could you open it with a nut pick? <laughs> Hey, that's an idea. Give me a nut pick. We haven't any nut picks, but I could run over to... Oh, heavenly days. Hide that diary quick. It's Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, my gosh. Here, you take it. Oh, no, I'll hide it. Oh, no, you better take it. No, I'll sit on it. Oh, darn that padlock. Calm yourself. Calm yourself. Come in. Oh, there, Mrs. McGee. Hello, Pippa. <laughs> I... Uh, did, uh, did you... <laughs> oh, hi, Gildersleeve. What's the matter with him, Mrs. McGee? What makes him so twitchy? Well, I'm sure I don't know, Mr. Gildersleeve something wrong, dearie? <laughs> no, no, no. Whatever it is, I'll, I'll get over it. <laughs> In fact, I got a feeling I'm right over it. I mean, I'm over it right now. <laughs> hey, Gildersleeve, you carry any keys with you? Why, certainly, McGee. I always carry quite a bunch of keys. You oh. see? You got one, a, a little tiny one, say, that would uh, open a briefcase? Yes, indeed. Here you are. I think this little one will do it. Ah, what a cute little key. <laughs> What's it for, Mr. Gildersleeve? Why, that's the key to my... Di uh, <clears throat> uh, let me see. Uh, what is that the key to? <laughs> that's odd. Uh, I don't seem to remember, McGee. <laughs> you don't, eh? <laughs> ah, you men always carrying keys and not even knowing what they own. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are we laughing at? I don't know. Search me. Silly, isn't it? Well, here's the key, McGee. Thanks, Gildy. I'll return it to you tomorrow. No hurry. What's mine is yours, you know. Yes, he knows. <laughs> uh, by the way, McGee, I almost forgot. Here's a fish for you. A, a fish? For me? Yes. My brother came home with a big mess of trout. Oh, thank you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Hope you enjoy it. Cost about $18. I thought your brother caught it. He did, and the game warden caught my brother. <laughs> well, good day, folks. Did you get that money? Get the idea? He's trying to bribe me. That's what he's doing. Bribe you to what? Not to open this diary. He doesn't even know you got his diary. That makes it worse. Trying to bribe me even before he knows what's happened. That settles it. Now I will read it. Give me that little key. Ah. Ah. Hey. Oh, dear, oh, dear. This is a shameful thing we're doing, McGee. It's like reading somebody else's mail. I'm so ashamed. Well, for goodness sakes, what does it say? Boy, he's sure been keeping this diary a long time. Look, it says Friday, August 19th, 1911. Stayed in bed all day today. Saturday, August the 20th. Stayed in bed all day again today. Sunday, August the 21st. Stayed in bed all day. Monday, August the 22nd. 
pants returned from cleaners. <laughs> There's a note here that says, In future, don't send pants out on Friday as it makes for a tedious weekend. Hey, Molly, wait a minute. I just thought of something. What? I'm leaving my fingerprints all over this diary. Uh-huh. I thought your conscience would finally catch up with you. Now then, are you going to close up that diary and give it back to Mr. Gildersleeve? What else can I do? You could wear gloves. Huh? <laughs> I never thought of that. Where are my gloves? In the hall closet. In here? Yes, on the shelf there. Okay, as soon as I put these on... Uh... Hey, Molly... Yes? Remind me to straighten out this closet tomorrow. Come here a minute. This is wonderful stuff. What is? This diary of Gildersleeve's. Here's, here's item for Friday, October the 23rd, 1929. Hey, that must have been the day the stock market crashed. What makes you think so? Well, all Gildersleeve has got down here for that day is... Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Come in. Hi, mister. What you doing? Hmm? Watch it. I'm reading, sis. What you reading? A diary. Hmm? A diary, a diary. You know what a diary is? No, what? <laughs> a diary is a sort of a personal fairy tale with yourself as the hero. <laughs> you keep a diary? No. Well, why not? I don't like fairy tales, I bet you. <laughs> Gee, I quit reading them years ago. <laughs> what you read now, sis? Oh, John Steinbeck and Eugene O'Neill and Ernest Hemingway and all stuff like that there. <laughs> Sis, do you mean to stand there with your little cheeks full of roses and your little tongue full of horns and tell me you don't like Cinderella or Jack the Giant Killer anymore? I do. Well, what on earth is... Now, listen. Hmm? What did the fairy godmother ever give Cinderella that Scarlett O'Hara didn't get the hard way? 
Can you take, for instance, Jack the Giant Killer? Huh? Why, he's a cream pop. He'd be a pushover for Superman. I'll bet there's one fairy tale you still like. What? Little Red Riding Hood. All the kiddies like that one. Not me, mister. What? You don't like Little Red Riding Hood? No. Well, I think of that beautiful golden-haired little girl full of trust and innocence with a heart full of love and a basket full of groceries. Alone in that secluded cottage with a vicious, cruel, bloodthirsty animal. Ah, boy. <laughs> you mean you don't feel the slightest twinge of sympathy for Little Red Riding Hood facing that terrible fate? Emotionally, mister, it leaves me undisturbed. <laughs> and intellectually, I have only the utmost contempt for any little twerp, golden hair or no golden hair, who can't tell her own grandmother from a wolf. <laughs> Kid. Book publishers better get busy on some new children's books. Looks like their mother goose is cooked. <laughs> Let me see now. What did I do with Gildersleeve's diary? Oh, yeah. I have it right here, dearie. Listen to this item. It says, Dear Diary, I took my first airplane flight today. Uh-oh. It was a wonderful sensation, and I predict the day will come when people will travel from coast to coast in an airplane in ten hours. Say, that was a pretty smart hunch of Gildersleeve's. Yeah? How long ago did you write that? Well, let me see. Last Sunday. Hmm. <laughs> hey, Molly, let me take that diary. I want to see how many women there was in his life. Well, I've been all through it, and there's just one. Hmm. He married his childhood sweetheart. Shucks. Isn't that romantic? Uh, it's romantic, but it's awful dull. <laughs> Why, it's no such a thing. Mr. Gildersleeve is just a one-woman man. Yeah, I know. You'd call it faithfulness, and he'd call it love, but I'd call it just plain unpopularity. <laughs> well, now, just remember the old saying I just made up. If you're on the square, you can't be around her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a guy who keeps his feet firmly on the ground will never kick a field goal either. <laughs> Come on, let me take that diary. Uh, I'd only got to the part where Gildersleeve... Well, hello, folks. Here's what's doing. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. We stumbled across Gildersleeve's diary, Harlow. Imagine that big bean bag keeping a diary. <laughs> oh, why not? I keep one. What? You do? Certainly. My diary is simply a record of all the women who have loved me. Oh, sure. One of my dearest possessions. Well, heavenly days, here's a man talk. <laughs> Look, tall. Look here now, tall, dark, and mistaken. Don't give me that great lover business. I've known you for a long time, and the only heartburning you've caused women was from taking them to cheap restaurants. <laughs> now, wait a minute, short, sharp, and shapeless. <laughs> I didn't claim to be a great lover. I was referring to the women who love me because of what I've done for them. Oh. Like bringing Johnson's self-polishing glow coat into their lives. Why, I've been instrumental in giving thousands of women more leisure, more health, and more happiness. You mean every time a woman looks at a dirty old-fashioned mop, she thinks of you? Yes. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I mean I represent the hours of drudgery saved by using Johnson's glow coat. Oh. Why, when I consider that a housewife just has to pour a, pour a small amount on the floor, spread it around, let it dry with no rubbing and no buffing, to get a beautiful polished kitchen linoleum in 20 minutes or less, why, uh, why, it just makes life worth living to me. Uh-huh. I go home at night so proud and happy, I pour out my gladness to my diary. Oh. It's all so wonderful, uh-huh. so beautiful. Oh, but you wouldn't understand. <laughs> I understood him. <laughs> 
Well, we just solved the secret of perpetual emotion, Molly. Just talk to Wilcox about glow coat. Yes, <laughs> he thinks the capital of the world is Racine, Wisconsin. And is there anyone in our little group who thinks otherwise? <laughs> Smart bunch of actors. <laughs> now, let's see. Where was I in this diary, Molly? I just... Hello, Peter. Hello, QB. Why, hello, Mr. DePopolis. What's on your mind, Nick? I was just passing you up when I happened to think about the footsie ball game we are going to. <laughs> How are we going? Well, we're all going in our car, Mr. DePopolis. Yeah, we'll all chip in for gasoline. Say about three bucks apiece. Hmm. <laughs> three bucks? Anybody say three dollars apiece is being a famous lady here? about twenty-four dollars. Mm-hmm. Hey, which way are we going? By the Burma Road? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and have a wonderful time, Mr. DePopolis. You and us and Mrs. Uppington and Mr. Boomer and... Mr. Wilcox and Mr. Gildersleeve. And the old-timer. Well, that smartly is a heterogeneous collection of personalities, isn't it? If I do say so myself, why shouldn't I? I'm one of them. <laughs> why, you're three of them, if the facts were known. <laughs> That's pretty good, Chupi. But that ain't the way I hit... Oh, wrong character. <laughs> say... What is that little volume of a book you have there, Fizzer? Oh, this happens to be Gildersleeve's personal diary, Nick. <laughs> Pretty mushy reading, too. That guy drips like a rented bathing suit. <laughs> is that so? Well, I hope for the heavenly sakes of goodness that Mr. Gildersleeve is underwear of the facts that you're reading out of his diary. Hey, you ain't going to mention this to him, are you, Nick? Oh, now, Fizzer, are you afraid of this man Gildersleeve? <laughs> what do you mean, afraid of him? Why, I can take old Gildersleeve like nobody's business. One swing from me and he'll be hearing music from them heavenly zephyrs. You mean zithers. I think he means a heifer. <laughs> I do not. A heifer is a guy that dances in vaudeville. That's a hoofer. Well, then what's a zephyr? It's a horse with stripes on it. <laughs> nah, that's a zebra. Well, Dad, well, what's all this got to do with Gildersleeve? Nothing, unless Golden Sleeve has got a striped heifer that dances in vaudeville. And if he has, it's too bad because there's no vaudeville. Well, so long. I'll see you later, kid. <laughs> King's Men singing I Dream of Jeannie with the Light Brown Hair. Happy as the day 
close, boys. That's the best yet. Hey, Musty. Listen oh, to this. Here, here. Uh, put Mr. Gildersleeve's diary away, McGee. It's Mrs. Uppington. Not Mrs. Abigail Uppington. In the flesh. In the powdered, painted, and well-girdled flesh. <laughs> Not so loud. The old moose will hear you. <laughs> Come in, Abigail. Oh, how do you do, my dear? Hello, Mrs. Uppington. And Mr. McGee. Hi, Uppity. Say, that's a pretty weird pair of riding britches you got on there. Please, Mr. McGee. These are job pulls. Oh. Well, I hope they fit him better than they do you, Abigail. <laughs> but uh, won't you sit down, dearie? Uh, no, no, thank you. I, uh, I've been riding for three hours in the park, and I... Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> oh, and how it is, Ruffy. I used to own a great little saddle horse myself. Very high-spirited, too. Should have seen him roll his eyes. Uh, that wasn't high spirit. Huh? He was just trying to see if he was still pulling the streetcar. <laughs> you have your own personal horse, haven't you, Mrs. Uppington? Well, yes, my dear. Oh, he's so sweet, really. Yes, and so very strange. Uh -huh. Yes, he's a high school horse. Oh. You don't say. I heard a few whinnies at the commencement exercises, but I thought it was the principal. <laughs> I simply love to ride. Yeah. When I'm cantering through the park, all my cares fade away. I feel as free as a bird. <laughs> yeah, but you can't fool a horse, Uppy. <laughs> he knows there's more than a handful of feathers in that saddle. <laughs> Ouch! Dad read it. I sat on that padlock again. Padlock? Ooh. Yes, this padlock is on a book, Mrs. Uppington. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say anything. But we come across Mr. Gildersleeve's diary. Yeah. It gives his personal history from way back. See, here it is. What? And Mr. Gildersleeve's own diary? Oh, let me see hey, it. Hey, go on, Mrs. Uppington. Uh, Stop it. McGee, uh, help me here. Now, oh, I just want to see it. Oh, no, you can't. No, no, Dad, grab it up and let go of that book. Ah, uh, oh, that's better. Hey, what's this diary to you, Uppy? What is it to me? Well, if you come across any entry dated June 21st, 1912, about Throckmorton taking a canoe ride with a certain young brunette... Yeah, but you're a blonde, Duffy. Not in 1912. Oh, my, what am I saying? <laughs> McGee, I'll bet she runs right over and tells Mr. Gildersleeve we've got his diary. What, uh, you mean she ain't discreet? Discreet? That woman whispers like a taffeta petticoat. <laughs> I'll tell you what i better do, Molly. i better run around. Are you in there, McGee? Uh, uh, oh, dear. Here it comes, dearie. Better roll up your sleeves. Oh, my gosh. I said your sleeves, not your trousers. How can I climb a tree with my pants catching on every little... How do you do, Miss McGee? Good day, Fibber. It's a lovely day, isn't it? Uh, uh, yes, it is, uh, Throcky, old pup. <laughs> Peach of a day. <laughs> how's, uh, how's everything with you? Don't you how's everything with me, McGee? Where's my diary? Diary? D -d -d diary? Well, well, let me tell you what happened, Gil. You see? I don't care what happened. All I know is that by hook or crook, you took my book. <laughs> Why didn't you write poetry like that in your diary, Mr. Gildersleeve? Never mind my diary. Yes, never mind his diary, Molly. And I don't mind saying I'm glad to get off the subject. 
Now, about this Notre Dame football game, Gildersleeve. Don't you try to change the subject, McGee. I'm going to thrash you within an inch of your life. Now, now. You leave him alone, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, I ain't scared of him, Molly. Here, take your old diary, Gildersleeve. And you know what? What? On page 713, under March 12th, 1919, you spelled hangover with two G's. No! That's enough, McGee. Take off your glasses. He doesn't wear glasses. I do, too. Look. Well, where on earth did you dig those up? Take them off, McGee. Why, you little booknapper, I'm going to hammer you into a meat pie and cover you with your own crust. <laughs> You just try it. I'll give you one punch in that paunch, and you won't wake up till, till the swallows come back from Castropano. <laughs> You're a hard man, McGee. Soften you up right now. Come on, put up your dukes. Here I come. Okay, okay. But I'll get you. I've been waiting to do this. Boys, 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 stop that noise. Can't you see I'm talking on the telephone? Oh, excuse me, Molly. Oh, uh, sorry, Mrs. McGee. Have a chair, Gildersleeve. She'll be through in a minute. Uh, very well, McGee. <laughs> have a cigar? Uh, thanks, I have one. You got two? Thanks. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. No, the diary belongs to a next-door neighbor, Mr. Gildersleeve. No, a Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. What? Well, just a minute, he's right here. Uh, what does the P stand for, Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, Philharmonic. <laughs> My father played the oboe in Philadelphia. <laughs> but who wants to know no. what... It's Throckmorton Philharmonic Gildersleeve. <laughs> no, I think the diary's the only thing he's written. Hey, what's the idea? What? Yes, we knew, uh, we knew it had great literary merit the minute we got a hold of it. Yes, indeed. No. Oh, no, I'm sure he wouldn't sell the rights to it. Here, here, wait a minute. By George, I don't know whether Hide I... Hide down, Gildersleeve. You don't know what this is all about. Either. <laughs> yes? Well, I'll inquire, but I don't think $10,000 in royalties will interest him at hey, all. Hey, no. $10,000? All righty. Oh, don't mention it. Goodbye. All right, McGee. Give the big crybaby his diary and let him go home. Here, Gildersleeve. Take it. Now, wait a minute, folks. $10,000. Maybe I was a bit hasty. Oh. But what about this about a publisher wanting my diary? Oh, what difference does it make? Yeah. No publisher would touch the thing anyway in its present form. And it would cost $25 to make carbon copies of it. Oh, I'll, I'll gladly pay that. Here, here's $30. You do what you can to promote it for me, and I'll give you a generous slice of the profits. Is it a deal? Well, I don't know, after the way you act. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Mrs. McGee. I really am. I was a bounder. Gildersleeve, you're a cad. <laughs> I'm going to leave my diary here, folks. Now I'll go and leave you to your work. I don't know how to thank you. Both. Good day. Hey, Molly. What Quick, McGee. Huh? Give me that $30 and get your hat. Uh, what for? Where are we going? Down to the telephone company and pay our bill. Our phone's been shut off for two days. What? It has? Oh, sure.
Fibber and Molly will be back in just a moment. In the meantime, let me suggest that right now is a good time to protect your linoleum floors with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Bad weather days are ahead, and you know how hard it is to keep the children and delivery boys from tracking across the kitchen floors with wet, soggy feet. But if these floors are protected with Johnson's glow coat, you won't have to worry because a damp cloth will quickly make them clean and sparkling again. Glow coat brings out the beauty of linoleum, keeps its colors fresh and clear. Many users tell us that glow coat actually makes their linoleum last six times longer than if it were unprotected. And of course, one of glow coat's principal advantages is that it's such a wonderful labor saver. It requires absolutely no rubbing or buffing, you know. You simply apply and let dry, and in 20 minutes you have a floor to be proud of. If you don't already have Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on hand, buy some from your dealer. Folks, next week we're taking the whole gang to the Notre Dame-West Point football game in our car. Oh, uh, McGee, wait a minute. Huh? What are you going to do about those two flat tires? Uppington and Gildersleeve? Oh, just throw them in the rumble seat and ignore them. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1940 episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. We remind you that WSHDLP Eastport is a non-commercial station and does not endorse any product. And also that Glow Coat has not been manufactured since partner now. Showgirls, slow girls, never had a bow girls, here's your only chance and how, if you please While the music plays, you can dance for days to the lazy craze, free and easy.
Free and Easy, Frank Luther with the High Hatters, led by Leonard Joy from 1930. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. for Jazz Potpourri, airing Wednesdays from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m., with a repeat on Saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m. From divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4. Right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music. Uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you missed the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. 
It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. Thank you.